is America on the Road, named Best Radio Show by the International Automotive Media Conference and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Will shortages of raw materials sink battery electric vehicle sales in the future? We'll have the details and our reactions to that coming up. Meanwhile, new details have surfaced on the proposed Apple car. We haven't heard about that for a while, but uh, I'm sure, Chris, you have some thoughts on that. We'll give you details on that, our thoughts as well, so stay with us for that. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash autoinsurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Hi, I'm Jack Nerad. That's who I am. And with me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris, you took a break last week. Uh, we're so happy to have you back. Uh, how did you and your family do with that uh, week off? Well, we were intending to go to Disney, as we talked about a while ago, but uh, the dog this time got sick. At least it wasn't one of my children. Uh, so we canceled our vacation and turned it into a staycation here in Maine. We visited the beach and went to an amusement park. Uh, so it was a pretty good week. I mean, everybody, everybody everyone was disappointed, but... Uh, I think that it turned out okay. How was your week? It was pretty good. Did you convince the family that the amusement park actually was Disney World, and they, <laughs> or did they grasp the difference? <laughs> no, there's a big difference between a small park in the uh, mountains of New Hampshire versus uh, Disney World. I think that uh, their minds and mine will probably be blown when we actually do get to see it next year, unless one of, one of us gets sick again. Yeah, well, it's very cool. There's no doubt about that. So uh, I hope that comes to fruition. Uh, what vehicle will you be talking about this week, Chris? I spent the week behind the wheel of the 2022 Toyota Camry. It's the XLE model with all-wheel drive, and you already know I'm a Toyota fan, so uh, that should tell you all you need to know. Yeah, well, you'll tell us even more that we need to know, so I look forward to that. I got a chance to drive the 2022 Kia Seltos. That's a small crossover SUV, uh, maybe uh, a new name to some people, but I'll tell you all about that and our experiences with that. I think it's maybe underappreciated vehicle. We also have a terrific interview for you. Our special guest is Cooper Erickson. He's been on the show before. He is head of product planning for all of Toyota uh, in North America. He's one of my favorite guests. He always has a lot to say. He's very thoughtful about the car industry, so uh, we'll enjoy speaking with him. And we'll have his take on vehicle electrification and more, so stick around for that. But before we do that, we'll bring you some of the most important auto-related news from around the world, including stuff about batteries. Ah, there's always stuff about batteries, right? So stay with us, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Back. From his uh, staycation in Maine, uh, this is Jack D. Red with you, and we're so glad Chris is with us. And uh, it is news time, and uh, fascinating news I think surrounding EVs. We talk a lot about EVs lately. I, I hope you're not getting bored with this. Uh, I mean, it uh, seems to be what's going on in in the world of automobiles these days. And this revolves around EV batteries and the questions about supply of raw materials needed to make EV batteries. And uh, that hasn't been talked about very much, but I think it's certainly uh, worthy of some uh, examination. Um, a guy named William Adams, who is head of battery and battery materials research at Fast Markets, uh, a research firm, uh, was talking about advanced batteries. And he says that uh, with the forecasted growth of, of EVs, 
it's going to put a strain on the supply of raw materials for batteries. And that could be a major problem. Uh, there just doesn't seem to be enough, or there might not be enough, of these raw materials that go into the making of these large EV batteries to keep things going. Yeah, you know, these metals have to be dug up out of the earth, and these mining operations are huge, huge undertakings and billions of dollars invested to get these things off the ground. So, uh, you know, I can see where a spike in demand would cause a shortfall in supply for batteries. It's going to take a big investment to, to catch up, I think. I mean, one of the big issues is the supply of lithium, uh, which, among other things, I think is used as a drug, but it's also used in these batteries, lithium-ion batteries, are the, the batteries of choice right now for most EVs. And there is some question, and, and according to Adams, he, he says, generally, we think there won't be enough lithium available each year to fulfill the EV market. And uh, yeah, that's kind of a challenge when everybody is shifting and, and billions of dollars, uh, you know, multi-billions of dollars are going to... Uh, move the market in that direction. It's it's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, and you also have to keep in mind these vehicles are competing with laptops and cell phones and several other devices for this material for the batteries. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, recycling out. might be one of the answers here. And, uh, you know, some of the materials that go into these batteries are nickel, lithium, there's cobalt, uh, other materials as well. And some of that stuff can be recycled. It will be interesting to see how profitable recycling can be. I think they're doing a lot of recycling in China. Uh, Western Europe, I think U.S. is maybe lagging behind in doing that. But in, in a related story, Volkswagen has, says, uh, has said it's just announced a, uh, a partnership with a company called Redwood, to do EV battery recycling uh, here in the States and across the world. I think that's a good sign, don't you, Chris? I do. They'll be able to get some mileage, extra mileage out of those materials we just talked about, or they can repurpose those batteries for use in, in people's homes. So uh, I think it's a win-win either way. You know, Volkswagen says that 55% of its U.S. vehicle sales will be fully electric by 2030. So they will have a lot of batteries to recycle as, as those batteries go out of service. I, I think the service life of, of, of a battery is something like 10 years or so. Uh, we really haven't reached the end of that for a lot of vehicles. Uh, and I, at that point, it's probably not worth replacing the batteries, given the fact that the batteries are so expensive and, and the, the car that surrounds that battery is, is not worth very much. So it'd be interesting to see how the, all that unfolds. Yeah, after 10 years, you might just want to look at getting a, a new car. <laughs> yeah, do it again. Recycle that whole thing. Well, we have uh, in the past talked about the Apple car, uh, and we haven't talked about it for a while. But now rumors have resurfaced about Apple uh, and the Apple car, which would, of course, be an electric. Uh, they call it within the, the company, within Apple, the Project Titan and uh, interesting details about this. I mean, this won't just be an electric car. It will also be an autonomous car. And according to the information in this report from TechSpot, this vehicle will be self-driving and won't have a steering wheel. I mean, that's reach out. Um, maybe to reach out, but it's certainly reach out, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to see where that would fit into our current landscape, if at all, even in the next five or six years or 10 years, I shouldn't say six, but uh, that's a pretty radical change in, in cars. You know, I guess it's to be expected from a, a company like Apple with its uh, the way it looks at products and development, but uh, I'm not sure that I'd be super happy about that. I'd like to drive. Yeah, I love driving too. And I, you know, it's one of those things where I always feel like uh, I'm the captain of my own ship when I'm driving a car, right? I mean, I used to have a boat. I had a, a sailboat for 30 years. And, 
I love going out and sailing solo, and it was fun for me. And I, I get that same kind of feeling when I'm driving a car. I'm just in charge. And there's so few areas these days where we're in charge, right? So the uh, the ability to do that, uh, I think it's kind of fun. And I would lose that. I don't want to just sit in the living room. I want to do something, and driving is a lot of fun. Yeah, and as we've talked about probably dozens of times now, the infrastructure for self-driving cars, even if the technology in the cars themselves becomes ready, uh, the infrastructure just isn't there. The cars need to be able to communicate with uh, stoplights and stop signs and all sorts of other things, crosswalks and things. So uh, I think there's a long way to go before any self-driving car, Apple or otherwise, becomes anywhere near making sense. Yeah, I mean, the regulatory landscape is against this right now, too. Apple is uh, really attempting to get the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration just to okay the fact of putting a vehicle out there that doesn't have a steering wheel doesn't have brakes. I mean, that goes against everything that, uh, or doesn't have traditional brakes or brake pedals. Uh, it certainly has brakes. It, cer- it certainly will stop, I think. Uh, I, if they haven't built that in, they've got to rethink the whole project, I think. Yeah, if you remember, I don't know if you, when I was in driver's ed, the person on the right side of the car had a steering wheel and a brake pedal as well, so they could, or they at least had a brake pedal so they could slow the car down. But, uh, you know, not having any driver input at all, even the most advanced systems today require the driver to be able to take control if something goes wrong with the car, whether they do that or not, I guess is a different question. But having no way to input or in- interject yourself into the conversation of the car uh, just seems really, it would be frightening, I guess, until you get used to it. Yeah, it is a leap of faith even to use things like Blue Cruise and Ford and uh, you know those kind of systems where it's fairly benign. You're in a divided highway. You're staying in your lane, typically. You might change lanes, and the vehicle might do that for you. But uh, even that's a leap of faith. Uh, Just when you go around your first curve without your hands on the wheel and are trusting the vehicle to to steer around that curve, I mean, uh, that's a bit bit of a jump for me. Yeah, I've been been scolded roundly by my wife on a few occasions testing out uh, Super Cruise and the various pilot systems. Uh, She has one on her Volvo that doesn't do hands-free, but... Uh, you know, it's unnerving for a lot of people. And even for me, knowing that the system should work and knowing at least a little bit about what it's doing under the surface, uh, you know, you don't have that confidence at least the first few times you you let go of the steering wheel. Yeah, it's a bit frightening. Well, here's an item that's probably of use to car buyers out there or uh, hopeful car buyers. Uh, <laughs> it's a tough time to buy a car, although it can be done. Uh, we shouldn't overstate that. I mean, sometimes the news reports are you can't buy a car, and that certainly isn't the case. But U.S. vehicle inventory is stuck right around 1.1 million vehicles and it's just staying there. I mean, the manufacturers cannot get ahead of this, and that's the issue. I mean, they can only build, well, that's a, that's a rate of what? If I'm doing my math right, it's a, something like uh, 13 million vehicles a year or something like that being built. And that's about what the sales rate is. And the, you know, they're basically selling every vehicle that shows up on the lot. Uh, which isn't precisely wonderful for anybody. I don't think it's good for the dealers. I don't think it's great for the manufacturers. And it's certainly not great for consumers who are paying way above sticker for those vehicles that are out there. I mean, uh, what's your reaction to that? Why why can't we get ahead? Why can't we get ahead? Well, if I knew, I could probably become a very rich person in the next uh, few months, I'm sure. But, well, I was hoping uh, you did know and uh, could, could do that. Yeah. We could keep we you know keep beating the same drums. Supply chain shortages, chip shortages, the pandemic, political issues, the war. You know the the list is probably never ending. And the CEOs or the executives of these companies probably have a long, long receipt like a CVS receipt full of of issues they have to take care of. Uh, but to your point, 
the data is showing people are paying, you know, 140% of MSRP. So they're paying 40% over what the actual, the vehicle, what the manufacturer says the vehicle should actually be sold for. And that's that's not good for anybody, but maybe the dealer, I guess, because the dealer is getting that overage. But uh, for a lot of people, that's going to end up being a very big problem down the road when they go to sell the vehicle or for they wreck it or, you know, any number of things. So uh, I see this as a lose-lose for everyone, except for maybe the dealers. And even they're not doing so great, I wouldn't suspect, because the inventory levels are so low. Yeah, they're making a lot per car, but they're not making a ton of money overall, I think, because there just aren't the vehicles to sell that they could otherwise sell. And that's got to be disappointing to them. Well, when we come back, it will be road test time. And we'll be road testing the Toyota Camry and the Kia Celto. So stay with us for that with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nerad with you, and we're so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road. It is road test time with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nerad with you. We're so glad you're with us, and we have interesting vehicles to talk about. I mean, you might not think the Toyota Camry is all that interesting, but I'm sure, Chris, you have a very interesting report on it. Uh, and it has been an interesting car over the years. It's been getting more and more interesting. Yeah, you had an interesting version of it too, didn't you? Yeah, it's more interesting now, I think, than it was. Uh, in fact, I don't think I know it's more interesting now than it was in the early 2000s and even just you know five or six years ago. Uh, the Camry is far sharper. It looks far sportier, and you know there's even a NASCAR Camry uh, Camry version of a NASCAR running around. So, uh, Toyota's done a lot to make this sort of the to promote the sportiness and give it a sharper edge. But I tested the XLE all-wheel drive model, and the XLE is right in the middle of the Camry lineup. Jack, there are like a dozen Camry uh, configurations, which kind of flies in the face of the logic that people aren't buying cars anymore. But Toyota offers uh, everything from a uh, super sporty TRD model to hybrids to a basic model. It's under $27,000, but the XLE is right in the middle. It starts around 32,000. Uh, mine had a few options that drove the price up to just over 35,000. And Jack, I don't know if you've been behind the wheel of a Camry lately, but have you, and and what do you think of the new technology, the way the, the inside, the styling looks? I, I felt that it was pretty upscale and I'll get into a little bit more later, but I want to get your opinion. Yeah, I mean, they really upped their game. And I think uh, the Camry buyer benefits from the fact that the Lexus ES is essentially on the same platform or very similar platform to the Camry. Uh, it's a really refined platform. I, I kind of regret the fact that we don't have as many sedans out there or sedans aren't getting the play that they used to because these sedans like the Camry, you know, kind of bread and butter sedans are really sophisticated and really good. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, this one, Toyota offers three powertrains in this car. I got the base powertrain, which is a 2.5 liter four cylinder, uh, 203 horsepower, 182 pound feet of torque. Doesn't sound like a lot, doesn't feel like a lot, but the car is, gets the job done. It's a smooth powertrain. It pairs with an eight speed automatic transmission. And I think the fact that they made all wheel drive available in the Camry is a huge step up. You know, I, I reviewed the Altima just a few weeks ago, probably a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, that car had all wheel drive. And I think it's just a great benefit. You know, Subaru's offered it in the legacy for for years or decades, I guess. So uh, the fact that you can buy this car and drive it year round in a place like Maine and not have to worry about it, I think is a huge benefit. Uh, the back seat, the interior is very spacious. Uh, this car had a black leather interior. It's got a, a panoramic sunroof, which is one of the options I mentioned earlier. Uh, and there's plenty of legroom in the back. So you look at a sedan and you think, well, I have a family of four and I have a dog. Am I going to be able to carry everybody in this car? Or are we going to end up at each other's throats before we get where we're going? And overall, we had no issues. You know, both my daughters are in the back in booster seats. We have uh, now a 50-pound golden doodle puppy, uh, quite a large dog at this point in time. Wow. Uh, he can sit right between them in the back seat and have no problems, and my wife in the front. And we're all 
went about our merry way uh, without many issues. You know, I think uh, you wouldn't want to haul a, a family of six and, uh, and go on a road trip in this in this car, but you, know, you have plenty of room for four uh, and even five. You know, the dog is the size of a small person at this point. So I think that that was uh, more than acceptable for a person. So uh, Toyota's technology has gotten a lot better in recent years as well. Jack, we've talked about the complexity of some systems and how Toyota was slow to adopt Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. But now that they've added it and simplified their infotainment system, I think it's uh, quite a bit better. Uh, but what are your opinions on Toyota's technology and especially their infotainment these days. They have changed it markedly, and um, they they realized they had a problem. I've talked to the Toyota people personally about this. I, you know, I was at their uh, headquarters confidential event, and I talked to some of the people involved in this. They set up a, sep- a separate organization within Toyota uh, in North America here, right down the street from them in Plano, Texas, to figure this all out because they knew they had an issue and they kept hearing about it and it was killing them in J.D. Power surveys and a bunch of other things. So they've addressed this and the the new system that they have kind of homegrown is really good, actually. Uh, they've made a big difference. I agree. It's night and day. Uh, and the menus, the navigation, operation is all 100% simpler and easier to do to use when the vehicle is in motion uh, than it was before. So you can imagine that reduces distraction, it reduces frustration, it makes things a lot easier. Uh, so no complaints there. Toyota uh, and this vehicle, the this trim specifically, comes with a wireless charging and uh, the JBL optional JBL sound system. So uh, all around the technology here is very good too. Now taking a step back to safety, uh, if this is a family sedan, which a lot of people will buy this as a commuter or a family sedan, you should know that Toyota includes a full suite of advanced safety systems here. So you've got forward collision warnings, automatic emergency braking. Uh, and lane departure alerts, and the list goes on and on. And, and I've always loved the way that, or liked, I guess I should say, uh, the way that Toyota does their safety alerts. I don't think they're intrusive. I think that you can expect and understand when they're going to happen, so there's not a surprise. And so everything with this car kind of works cohesively, which I guess is what you'd want to hear from a, a Toyota Camry jack. Yeah, well, it makes sense that it would be that, and uh, that's why they sell so many of them. Toyota made the the considered decision to stay with sedans when a lot of people are abandoning and a lot of car companies just saying it's not going to work in North America. And it's worked out really well for them. So, uh, you know, kudos to them. They've done a great job with it. Yeah, it's not an exciting car, but absolutely gets the job done. So Yeah. And if you're looking for a sedan, well, by all means, there's a lot of flavors of Camry and take a look at them. Well, I was driving a vehicle that probably doesn't get a ton of respect. It's in a uh, segment that doesn't get a ton of respect, I think, certainly from uh, car reviewers like you and me, Chris, and that's the subcompact crossover segment. I'm talking about the Kia Seltos. And at the same time, this is a much more engaging, fun car than maybe it has a right to be or a lot of us would think about. It does a lot of things right, and uh, I like the handy size. Uh, it's it's perfect as a second car. It would be perfect as a, a car for, for one of your children. Maybe not one of your children, Chris, but maybe one of mine who are older than your children and are actually driving cars. You can get it uh, with two different engines. Uh, a very bread and butter two liter four cylinder engine, not with a turbo in this case, but just a, a straight on normally aspirated two liter or a 1.6 liter that provides 175 horsepower. That's maybe a little bit more palatable for us. But I think a lot of people will be perfectly happy with the, uh, the Seltos with the base engine. 
There was some good stuff added for the uh, 2022 model year, so I was happy about that. It's got a big infotainment screen. I mean, when you put a 10.3-inch infotainment screen into a, a subcompact vehicle like this, I mean, that looks like a big screen. I mean, it's a big screen right in front of you. And, uh, you know, we have always applauded, in fact, uh, clap, 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 uh, applauded uh, what Kia has done with their infotainment systems. They're clear, they're easy to operate, so we like that. You can get a vehicle in SX form that even has a flat-bottom steering wheel. So how sporty is that, right? I wonder why some things seem sporty, right? Like red stitching on the seats or a flat bottom steering wheel. That, for some reason, is sporty. As opposed to other stuff, like wouldn't white stitching be equally sporty? Or is, I guess red's a little sportier. I don't know. In any case, I like the Seltos a lot. From, from that angle, it's got an engaging interior. Uh, the base engine makes 146 horsepower. As I said, the up-level engines, 175, both of them. The base engine is uh, mated to a CVT transmission, which is just fine. It's just fine in that uh, configuration. I don't think that's an enthusiast kind of uh, configuration anyway. Uh, the turbo has a seven-speed automatic, so that's that's a plus on that side. If you have the, uh, the four-cylinder uh, with the turbo, you get all-wheel drive, so that's all to the good. Not really useful here in Southern California so much. And I, even if I went up in the mountains in the snow, I don't know that this is an all-wheel drive that would take me through the snow that you encounter, say, in Maine, or I, I would encounter in the mountains of Southern California or Central California. Miles per gallon, pretty good. Here's something to talk about, Chris. I mean, what's your take on a normally aspirated, inexpensive vehicle like this versus uh, an EV or a hybrid or something like that that's going to cost you a lot more? I mean, where do you fall on that scale? I think for people who do extended highway driving or have commutes that are longer and still need decent fuel economy in the space, I think that it's a viable option, especially since they don't currently offer uh, a plug-in version. But, you know, the EVs, you always have to face up the charging times, and then range is not so much an issue for some vehicles now. And then hybrids kind of fizzle on the highway, at least in terms of the benefit they provide for fuel economy. So I'd say, you know, there's a probably a small but uh, very real group of people that this is a, a great choice for. Yeah, and I don't know how small it is, actually. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe that's a larger group than yeah, uh, would find an EV uh, palatable these days, at least with what EVs cost. And, you know, we love EVs, but, you know, heaven knows, uh, you know, a vehicle of this size would cost maybe another $15,000 or something like that. Nice interior. This is certainly not a luxurious interior in the Seltos, but I think it's well-designed and you don't feel like you're in a cheap vehicle. You feel like you're in a vehicle that is well-designed and uh, kind of suits you pretty well and, uh, you know, maybe better than you deserve, right? I've talked about uh, infotainment and uh, it's, it's really good with this uh, large screen. And plenty of safety equipment, too. You have lane departure warning, lane keeping assist. You can get adaptive cruise control, which you can't get on a, a lot of inexpensive vehicles. So all in all, I, I think the uh, Kia Seltos is a, a very good buy. Uh, what's your take on that overall? I agree. You know, and I think Kia's done a good job bringing the styling cues down from the, the uh, Telluride SUV. So you can see it uh, in the uh, and it's in the minivan. You can see it in the uh, 
and the Seltos. So uh, the styling works really well on the smaller size. The interior, as you mentioned, uh, surprisingly upscale for the price tag. And uh, the infotainment is also very, very simple and easy to use. And I've always been a big uh, proponent of Kia and Hyundai's uh, infotainment systems. I think some people talk about them being uh, kind of simplistic or not so colorful and easy on the eyes. But the result there is that it's very easy to use while you're driving. And that's the most important thing. Uh, the, ad- the addition of safety equipment here adds to the value. And, you know, for what it is, it's a perfectly fine driving car. I tested the base model or the base powertrain last year in the summer. Didn't get to try out all-wheel drive or anything like that. Drove it to the beach, had a perfectly fine time. It did well on the highway, does well in town, uh, reasonably quiet and comfortable for four or five people. So uh, I think it's absolutely a a good vehicle and, and, and solid enough, and I would love to drive the turbo model next. Yeah, well, the turbo model will be a little more fun, I think, but uh Certainly in base form, this is a, a heck of a, of a buy, very good value. And uh, so I think we've, we've talked about two uh, kind of bread and butter vehicles, the, uh, the Toyota Camry, certainly everybody knows about that vehicle. And the Kia Seltos, maybe not nearly as well known as the Camry, but I think also a, an excellent buy. So something to have a look at. And uh, when we come back, we will be speaking with Cooper Erickson, who is the head of product planning for Toyota. Uh, terrific guest, and I think you'll enjoy the interview we, we had with uh, Cooper. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red with you, and we are in the uh, deep environs of Toyota North America and with a great guest. He's been on the show before. Cooper Erickson is Group Vice President of Toyota Motors North America Product Planning a lot of balls in the air, a lot of plates spinning, certainly. Uh, number one, thanks so much for hosting this, having us uh, with you, and giving us the chance to ask you some questions. Uh, how would you like to start off? What's the, what's the first thing on your mind that uh, you'd like people to know about Toyota products these days? Well, thanks for uh, having me, and uh, thanks for coming, taking your time to come to Plano. I mean, for me, in the world of product development, the thing that's so fun about this week is the products that we're revealing, I was starting to see those, you know, three and four years ago, and what should the design be, and who's the target customer, and why should this crease be here, and how we're going to treat the wheel finish, and I mean, the powertrain. So every inch of those cars, you know, for years we've been, you know, sweating the details, and but it's been all behind the scenes. So it's so fun to see those cars show up. And I've seen it for a long time, but seeing the, the, the responses from consumers and, and through, through uh, you know, journalists and, and the media here, it's been really gratifying. Because I, I wonder if that's kind of old news for you when you're at an event like this and the stuff is being launched and you know, you're way, you're two, three, five years ahead, right? So I, I kind of wonder whether you get as excited about that, but it's, it sounds like you do. And it's, it's the response, right, that, yeah. that makes you excited. Sometimes I equate it to judging art, right? <laughs> I, I could paint something and I think it's the most beautiful painting in the world. And somebody else is going to look at it and say, I have no idea what that is, yeah. right? It's just so different. So the gratifying part is, you know, we're not arrogant, we, we, we are very humble in our approach. And so when we get the feedback from, from the journalists, like when we pull a cover off a car and in unison, the journalists all say, wow, that's awesome. It's yeah. like, okay, that, that's, that feels really Well, and good. you probably had situations where there was the wow and there was maybe one where you were hoping for a wow and you didn't get a wow. I mean, what's that like? <laughs> yeah, it's, 
<laughs> it's <laughs> it's it's frustrating, but the, you know the building a car is the art of compromise. Um, and you know, there, there's no car that's ever going to be the most powerful, the best fuel economy, the best styling, the best ride quality, the best technology, and the cheapest price, right? So it's this it's yeah. this combination yeah. of what does the customer really want? And you know, um, sometimes cars aren't maybe meant to deliver a wow when you first see it because the car serves a little bit of a different purpose. It could be affordability and durability. And it's a car. Well, and oftentimes the consumer doesn't want wow, right? I think, and and probably Toyota customers are, are, a lot of them are in that boat, right? Where they want something that's maybe a little more conventional, conservative. They don't want to be bowled over and they don't want to bowl anybody over. Yeah. And it's, it's very different by segment and by powertrain, frankly. Um, You know, we've been through a couple of decades selling electrified powertrains and there was a time when people wanted to drive a Prius because of the image and it projected, here's, here's what I stand for. And, you know, today people drive BEVs and they want to show what it stands for. Battery electric vehicles. Ba- ba- battery electric vehicles. Yeah, right. we, we, we use different terminology maybe, but <laughs> we have so many electrified <laughs> options. We have to keep our sanity on how we describe them all. So we yeah. call it BEV, battery electric vehicle. Um, so there are people that want to stand out sometimes and show they're driving a battery electric vehicle. But we do a lot of research and there's also a lot of customers who say, no, 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 I I want that, but I don't want it to be flamboyant and stand out. I I, I just want it for different reasons. Yeah, an example of that, not a battery electric vehicle, but your hydrogen vehicle, Mirai, Mm -hmm. has gone from, wow, this is really different looking to (laughs) this is pretty mainstream, good looking, almost luxury car, you know, quasi Lexus vehicle. Uh, talk a bit about that. Yeah, that when, evolution. When, when we launched uh, the first generation Mirai, I remember seeing it for the first time, and I wasn't a huge fan of the overall styling execution. But um, it was described as distinctive. It, it stands <laughs> it out. It was that. <laughs> it, it's not going to blend in with the other cars in the road. And it's like if that was the goal, you nailed it. <laughs> so yeah, the evolution is. Look, people want to be really proud of what they're driving and what they're seen in. And and the Numerai, the styling on that vehicle is, I mean, it's frankly one of the couple of best looking sedans in the automotive industry. It is just a gorgeous really style is. vehicle. Yeah, really and so we, we felt that that car needed a little more prestige and a little less quirkiness for that, for that consumer. So that's what we tried delivering. Yeah. And you certainly achieved that. There certainly is both art and science in what you do, right? And the element of art or design certainly is often critical to when the the science part, powertrains are kind of similar. I mean, certainly Toyota has different differentiated powertrains too. But it strikes me that it's harder and harder to differentiate on powertrain these days. So then it becomes more art, right? And how do you approach that as a, as a product planner? Well, actually... The differentiation in powertrains is is a bigger deal now than it ever has been because there's so many different options and we have to have powertrains that meet the ability to meet consumer expectations and we have to have powertrains that meet, you know, government regulations and compliance. So we have to mix all that together. And so some customers need to have an attractive price point, an aggressive lease payment, right? And that deserves a certain type of powertrain. 
and other customers really optimized for fuel economy and they can spend a little bit more so that's a different powertrain some customers want to have uh, at least partial or full zero emission vehicles so a plug-in hybrid can can serve that customer mm -hmm. especially if it's a customer with only one car that doesn't have a, a fleet of cars they can have one be a bev this thing can do everything right and then there's the customers that don't want to bother with the gas and they want to really have the bev and we need to serve that customer too so the, 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 from a powertrain standpoint, the industry right now is pretty fragmented. Um, the media headlines would indicate that everybody wants a BEV tomorrow, and, and they're all going to do it. Not this media. But there's, <laughs> there's a lot of hurdles we have to overcome as an industry to make that work. Well, I'm glad you opened that door, because I, I really want to talk about that. Because I think Toyota's stance is different from the stance of many other brands, or car companies, car manufacturers. So beyond just the Toyota brand, also into Lexus, who are, for one reason or another, very gung-ho about battery electric vehicles, to the point of being unrealistic about it in this reporter's opinion. Toyota is approaching that a different way. Talk a bit about your stance on that, how you're looking at various powertrains, because I, I think you're more of, we're going to have some of each, <laughs> as opposed to, we're just going that direction. Yeah. This is an interesting one. Um, to make this real simple, what is the enemy when it comes to vehicle emissions? And our point is very simple. The enemy is carbon emissions. By every indication, every scientist that you know, carbon goes up, global temperature goes up, carbon goes down, global temperature goes down for 800,000 years. This is very consistent. And carbon right now is increasing pretty dramatically in the atmosphere. Um, and so to us, carbon is the enemy. What is the fastest path to carbon neutrality? And that's not just the car, it's the assembly plants, the acquisition of the raw materials, it's the entire uh, carbon output. So while keeping personal mobility <clears throat> available to people, I think is a key thing too, well, right? Yeah, we are a mobility <laughs> company. Because some people, <laughs> you know, maybe would throw that out, but I don't think most Americans want to throw that out. And certainly Toyota doesn't yeah. want to throw that out. So that's just a, yeah, that's a God-given right. We, people want to be able to be mobile and, and, and they need our products to do that. The other philosophy that some brands have implemented is, but the enemy is, is, is gas. The enemy is, is hydrocarbons. Yeah. Um, or burning fossil fuels. Burning I fossil mean, fuels. At one point it was, we're running out of fossil fuels. We have to <laughs> yeah, slow yeah, down yeah. on that, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. that was one of the original rationales for Prius. I yeah. So the solution of these problems, it's not EV or bust. It's what's the fastest route. And frankly, the utilization of battery raw materials is one of the most precious things we can do. There's only so many strip mines. There's only so many resources for these things. So we need to utilize them in a way that has a bigger impact on society. So we like the idea of hybrids because it reduces greenhouse gas emissions dramatically and it's at a very affordable price point and we can sell massive volume and that's how you impact the environment. So our, our goal is carbon neutrality. We just have a different path to get there. Uh, we, we, we think our path is, is the most prudent and, and customer-focused path, but other brands have different opinions, and I'm not going to knock them. Well, and I think governments have, or regulators have, or politicians have, there, and that's uh, an environment you have to deal in, too, right? I mean, some of it is being persuasive, I suppose. Some of it is, I mean, there are people who just 
don't want to burn any fuel every, uh, anywhere. I, and I think they believe that electricity comes out of a plug in the wall and isn't generated <laughs> by burning fossil fuel, which is where most of our, our electricity comes from. So uh, that's my little soapbox on this. But I, I think it's refreshing the approach you're taking versus the approach that others are taking, which I, I don't think is necessarily realistic. At the same time, you're diving into uh, battery electric vehicles mm -hmm. in a way that you have not before. Mm -hmm. Describe to our listeners what you're doing there. Yeah, we've made some big commitments on, and battery electrics have always been part of our strategy. You know, people don't realize this, but the BZ4X is our third battery electric SUV. We've had two generations of RAV4s. So we, we've been trying this. And I'm old it, enough to remember that. that. You're old enough. Mm -hmm. So the, the timing wasn't right back then. But consumers are now opening up to this technology. And that's great news for us. I mean, Toyota has sold more electrified vehicles than any brand for 22 consecutive years. So our strategy has always been to move in this direction. So we're going to be in introducing roughly 15 battery electric vehicles. You know, it's gonna be part of our portfolio and our, our sales of those battery electrics will increase steadily. And um, you know, if you look at our battery electric commitments globally at 2030, you know, we're, we're saying about 3.5 million vehicles globally will be battery electric vehicles. About 80 or 90% of our total volume is gonna be electrified. So some form of hybrid. Now, the industry in the U.S. is projected right now to be 40 or 50 percent gas and 40 to 50 percent electrified by 2030. So we're only going to be like 10 percent, you know, traditional gas. So we're going to have a much higher electrified percentage, but we're going to have battery electric vehicles that meet consumers' needs. And the first is the BZ4X here, um, which is very functional great driving vehicle, SUV, ground clearance, SUV functionality, no compromise, and it's going to meet a lot of customers' needs. And we have other plans to introduce, you know, a cadence family of, of EVs as we move along. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen, just as somebody who observes the industry, to the startups and, and companies like Tesla as there are other opportunities for people to buy electric vehicles? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so number one, we really try to stay laser focused on customers and what customers want and let's let's give them what they want you know there's a lot going on in the industry right now you know there's so many new startups over the next three or four years i think there's going to be a tremendous amount of shakeup in the industry you know what that looks like i i don't i don't want to get in the business of predicting the reality is uh you know the economy if if we have you know eventually the economy will slow down you know it always does it's it cyclical does, yeah, sure. so how many of the startups will have the cash to make it through um that type of a period and you know scaling up production and supply chain is very difficult and so the the amount of financial well, investment, it might be fatal to some of the startups who yeah, are it, having difficulty with supply chain and, right and you don't have you can't create revenue until you get to the end of the line and actually sell a car and there's a lot that has to go into it before you can sell a car so i really applaud these companies for the innovation and the the approach that they're taking and the industry is going to be better off for it longer term um, it's it's a lot of innovation and that's really exciting. It's pushing us, but there's going to be a lot of shakeup in the industry. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't want to pick winners and losers. Um, I know we're going to be okay, but it's going to be really exciting to watch. And when we come back, we'll have more from Cooper Erickson right here on America on the Road. So stay with us for that. 
Welcome back to America on the Road. This is Jack Murad with you. And now let's continue our interview with Cooper Erickson of Toyota with his look at how the EV market will fare going forward. Has this pushed you in a particular direction that you otherwise might not have gone, given the fact that they're startups and... You know, what we're seeing with like the capitalization even of uh, Tesla, for example, is, is kind of mind-blowing in a, a lot of ways. Well, I think if you peel that onion back a little bit, um, you know, one reason the capitalization of Tesla is so good is they have a lot of demand. Customers want to buy their cars. So I would say, yeah, that's changed but the But really, way. investors are betting on the come more so than the volume that they're putting out there, right? Yeah, but they're still selling pretty significant volume, you know, yeah. I mean, they're, today, they're about 29% of luxury registrations in the state of California. Um, I mean, it's you, you can't deny the volume that they're doing. So, look, we are always adjusting our sites long term. I, I like to equate our approach to more of a heat-seeking missile. We don't pick a destination and say, we're going to be here in 2030. We say, we're, we have a target, but we're going to adjust as we go along. It was only a year and a half ago that our, our commitment for 2030 was a million BEVs. And now we're at 3.5 million. So we absolutely adjust based on many things, but mostly consumer behavior. It's a super exciting time in the automotive industry. And, and we think that we are keeping up with that. And we are laser focused on taking care of the customer. And we might look like we're not the most you know, progressive company sometimes. You know, we do not want to sell direct to customers. We want customers to have a, a good relationship in their community with somebody they can trust in, a, in a, one of our retailers. Um, and we're going to continue to give customers the portfolio of products that they want, and we're going to be the leaders in quality and dependability. And that's, that's what our future is going to look like. That's what we're committed to. Well, I would say, as an observer of this industry for a long time, that uh, there might be criticism of the media of the, the direction and the speed at which Toyota is moving. But I don't think that that has shaken any kind of consumer demand or consumer relationship with Toyota. I think that remains as strong as ever. So, and well, based on the fact we ended last month with a one-day supply of cars, I think you're probably right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Cooper Erickson, always a pleasure to speak with you. I thank you so much for joining us again on America on the Road. Thank you. Great to be with you. Our thanks to Cooper Erickson and our thanks, of course, to Chris Teague for co-hosting with us this week. And join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road. This is Jack Nerad.